Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. It is it is the session. We are in full swing. Mm-hmm. There's stuff happening left and right all over the place. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We have kind of highlighted eight bills that are kind of making their way through the legislature. And we've kind of divided them into good bills and bad bills. And we picked good bills that we feel like, you know, are either just getting media attention or actually seem like they have a pretty good chance to pass. And the bad bills are are just the worst, the worst stuff that we could find and also stuff that we also think look like likely to pass. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing today. I've got all of the bad bills. Jasmine has all of the good bills. There's going to be eight in total. And I'm going to start because we want to end on a good bill. So Jasmine, you ready to talk about these these eight bills? Let's do it. All right. Starting off is House Bill 208. That is a constitutional amendment which would allow Kentucky to fund charter schools and potentially to fund a voucher scheme. This is something that definitely had been in the news in all of the previews that we'd had. Uh, It was definitely hinted at before the session started at the beginning of the session as something that was going to make it into the, you know, into the session this year. Um, And it is now House Bill 208. Um, You know, the reason why this is a bill is because there was a bill that funded charter schools back in, I think it was like 2021, and a 2023 Kentucky Supreme Court ruling said that the bill that set up that funding for charter schools was unconstitutional under the Kentucky Constitution, which says they have to provide for a system of common schools. So this is a pretty straightforward amendment of all the bills that I looked at. It was one that I feel like made the most sense in terms of its text. Um, but yeah, it is a, it's a constitutional amendment. Um, so it would have to be passed by the legislature, and then the voters would have to vote on it before it would make its way into the Constitution, and that would have to happen during a general election. So the bill's primary sponsor is Josh Calloway. Uh, he's one of the most conservative, if not the most conservative, member of the House, and it is co-sponsored by 18 Republicans in the House. I think that's including Josh Calloway. So who are the co-sponsors? The co-sponsors are mainly, mainly urban Republicans, so like Kevin Bratcher, Emily Calloway, Jared Bauman, and then and Matt Lockett. Uh, and then and then also kind of the Liberty Wing. So you have Felicia Rayburn, Savannah Maddox, and you know Josh Calloway, of course, who's the, the chief sponsor. Um, and, and those are the people who are sponsoring this bill. Of course, charter school legislation has been a main priority of Republicans in the legislature all, all the way back to when they first were put in power back in 2016. There were some stuff, there were a lot of things on their to-do list right when they first got into power. Jasmine, you know, we were we were recording back in those days, but you, like a couple of things fell really quickly, like the right to work law, the prevailing wage stuff, um, those, those managed to happen without you know, just like right away. But charter schools was something that was a little bit harder to get done. There was a huge movement that kind of occurred after like after the, the legislature tried to pass them. And they haven't really been successful in, in getting charter schools implemented in Kentucky, despite the fact that they are now going on, I think, like six or seven years of total control of the legislature. So, you know, that that is kind of where we're at with these things. And now they're pushing for a constitutional amendment. And, and, and you know, I have heard that there have been some commitments made by right-wing education groups to fund a, a large-scale campaign to pass this constitutional amendment at the ballot box if it does pass this legislature and makes its way to the, the ballot in, in, you know, presidential year. But I just, 
I just don't see it having much of a chance. I, you know, Jasmine, I am known for being way too overly optimistic. Like, that is something you point, about, point out about me all the time. But I, I just don't think Kentuckians are going to vote for charter schools, even if there's a million-dollar campaign to push for it. I, you know, I think it will be a real fight, and I think that, you know, education advocates are going to have to bring their A-game to defeat this uh, constitutional yeah. amendment. I, I just think... You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of like constitutional amendment two about abortion, except for maybe even easier to pass. And you know, there's a lot of money spent on that, or sorry, easier to defeat. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of money spent on that one. I do think that they will be spending more money because they know it's harder to pass this. But I think this is just a tough, a tough uh, row to hoe, if you will. But who knows? Um, it, it's definitely something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on. So, Jasmine, any thoughts about the charter school uh, push in the 2024 session so far? I was also going to say I think it will be similar to Amendment 2. I do think it will take mounting a big campaign um, to, like, let people know what it is the same the same way um, pro-choice advocates did when it came to Amendment 2. Um, and the vote no on amendment two campaign was much bigger, it seems than the vote yes campaign was. And so I think Mm -hmm. here, the, the school choice, you know, the, the, the pro charter school advocates are, are going to spend more money. It might be more akin to the way that Marcy's law advocates spent money on ads and things like that. And Marcy's law, that very easily passed twice um, on the ballot after there was a Supreme Court challenge the first time. And so, um, and in that case, it it was hard to go up against the kind of money that the pro Marcy's law advocates had. So I think here it's just going to take a lot of education and advocacy from the pro public education crowd and but with that, I think it could be defeated for sure. Yeah. The, one of the issues with Marcy's law is just like the text of it for anybody walking into the ballot box. Like this is yeah. uh, this is for victims of crimes mm-hmm. to protect victims of crimes. And, you know, there there were reasons not to like it. Really serious reasons not to like the bill. And, and, and you know, it was, it was just a really hard educational challenge. I don't think charter schools have quite the same brand uh, awareness at, or like the uh, as much like brand value as like victims of crimes. You know. Well, I mean? yeah, yeah, I think that's true. But at the same time, charter schools don't sound inherently bad. I, either. I mean, I kind of feel like they. I mean, and, and you know, this again may just be me being like overly optimistic, but I just feel like they kind of have a negative connotation in Kentucky. Like, I just think that charter schools have really. Because it's been such a serious issue, um, and, and you know, such an important issue to Matt Bevan and to Andy Bashir. Like, I just, I don't know. And it will be something we have to keep keep our eyes on. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think you're being much more realistic than me, Jasmine, as as usual. Um, so we. Well, I, you know, I like I said, I do think it can be defeated. You know, with with the right amount of advocacy and education. Like, I think it could come out very similar to the amendment to vote. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all about House Bill 208. Jasmine, tell us about SB 97. All right. SB 97 is Cassie Chambers Armstrong's diaper bill. So this bill would exempt diapers from the state's 6% sales tax. And so, of course, Cassie Chambers Armstrong is a Democrat from Louisville. She won a special election um, last year 
to get her seat in the Senate. And when the Senate clerk announced the filing of the bill, uh, there was a little bit of bipartisan cheering. And Damon Thayer um, noted that he was co-sponsoring the bill. So every woman in the Senate, except for Amanda Mays Bledsoe, who has um, just been absent recovering from an injury, is also a co-sponsor of the bill. Damon Thayer said, I'm a Republican and we're for tax cuts and it's a good idea. This helps show we are pro-mom and pro-baby. I like Senator Chamber Ar- Chambers Armstrong's pluck. I feel like she worked and deserved to have some Republicans sign on to her bill. <laughs> I, so wonder, the fist- I wonder if Damon, I wonder if David there has ever complimented like David Yates's pluck. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's good that he's he's uh, on our side for this one. But yeah, yeah. Um, so the fiscal note on the bill estimates that exempting diapers from the six percent sales tax will cost around ten million dollars per year. Um, but Chambers Armstrong said that she believes that estimate could be a little high, and it, it's small um, considering you know, all that gets exempt, exempted um, from sales yeah. tax in general. We, we have like a film tax break. We have like an entrepreneur's sales or like people who just want to invest in small companies get a tax yeah. break. And like, let's spend $10 million for moms who have to put diapers on their children. Like that seems like a much better use of $10 million than a lot of things the state spends money on. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it's good to see that they're, is bipartisan support um, and for a democratic bill, but Democrat Democrats don't get to carry bills very often. And so um, I don't know if Cassie Chambers Armstrong had to do some hard negotiating, make some concessions. Um, I don't know, but she gets to have her name on a bill that seems like it has bipartisan support. I don't know if it has support um, in the house. Um, but she has the support of of Damon Thayer. I mean, I guess you just have to demonstrate sufficient pluck <laughs> is uh, what I've Sorry. learned here. Uh, but no, I do think uh, I do think that this bill does have a really good chance to pass the Senate. Like you said, I think if it passes the Senate and doesn't pass the House, that means we are maybe just a couple years away from getting it through the full legislature. I do think that this is something um, that has a very, very good chance to pass eventually, if not this year. It, it may very well pass this year, though. So, um, you know, uh, and we've got good Democrats. I mean, this is it's something that's really important, um, you know, a good reason to elect moms for sure. Um, and, yeah, I, I hope it I hope it goes all the way through this year. But I have I have high hopes for the prospect of this becoming law in Kentucky at some point in the future. You feel the same way? Yeah, I think so. You know, sometimes these things are, they start getting momentum and, and they don't quite make it across the finish line. But it, you know, if it passes through a committee or passes through one chamber, that may signal hope for the future. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about another bad one. The Safer Kentucky Act is now House Bill 5. So typically the first five bills uh, in the session, so HB 1 through 5 and SB 1 through 5, are the highest priority for the chamber. You will often see at the beginning of a legislative session, you know, if somebody just files a bill, they will start it at number like 6 or 7 or 8. You won't see like HB 1 filed until kind of like the middle of the session for a budget year because it's always the budget. And yeah, that that's kind of how, how that works. Um, so we've talked at length about the, the Safer Kentucky Act, this kind of 
um, criminal law. Uh, but as a reminder, it, it does several things. So here's here's the list of things it does. It creates a three-strike system for people who are convicted of violent felonies, creates a death penalty offense for murdering a police officer, or I guess just a first responder, so police officers are included, but not all of that. Um, it creates a new felony for carjacking. It limits the ability of charitable, ba charitable bail funds to bail people out of jail. It significantly increases penalties for fentanyl trafficking. It allows security guards and business owners to use force to protect their businesses. And it makes camping illegal for homeless people and restricts services. Or it, kind of, it kind of restricts the, the types of services that local governments can use to cope with homelessness. So um, that's the laundry list of things that it does. And, and I would say there's a lot of things not to like about this bill. But I will say one of the things that I haven't really discussed on the show as of yet. But, like, I was trying to read this bill bill to do preparation for this show and and it reminded me that omnibus bills like these are just really hard to follow right you're jumping all over the kentucky revised statutes and you you have the list that you're looking at and be like i know that this bill does this and okay here's where they're making this change but then there's a bunch of other just kind of random language changing in the law and i'm just kind of like what's going on here and and there's stuff about you know the parole board there's stuff about the destruction of firearms used in homicides which i know is like a big craig greenberg thing there's other parts of laws that haven't really been discussed that seem to be like dealt with in this legislation so what is going on in here is this the full list of everything that we're doing um you know i don't know i you know i i used to be uh like a professional at doing this but it's it's hard to follow this bill and you know mm -hmm. unless somebody digs in on this for like a couple of hours you're really going to have a hard time figuring out what's actually in this legislation so yeah i would it would take more than a couple hours yeah, definitely. There, like there's so many cross references and so many different statutes that you would have to to jump through yeah exactly Exactly. It's just it's 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 difficult to understand what's going on in this omnibus legislation. If we did this full time, Robert, if people if people paid us to do this, we could we could really yeah. break it down. We could really we could really do that. And you could sit here and listen to us talk about, uh, you know, as HB five uh, and, and everything it does uh, for several hours. We could do that. Um, OK, so that that's just another thing I hadn't really mentioned. That's a serious issue that I have with this bill. But several of the bill's big pushes also just seem to be, like, redundant um, to laws that are already on the book. So, I mean, the, the most one we've talked about before is carjacking. Carjacking is already illegal, right? There's, It's already on the books. You cannot carjack somebody. Uh, and, you know, if you, like, carjack something, the police aren't going to be like, well, that's carjacking. It's legal. It's already illegal. You can't do it. It's already a felony. It's already a very serious felony. You can't do it. Making a crime that's called carjacking is just kind of redundant. And that's something we've talked about already. But there's more than just carjacking. Uh, business owners can already use reasonable force to protect their property. That's already, like, that's every... Every state allows you to do that. If your property is being stolen, you can use reasonable force to try to stop that from happening. That is on the books. Um, and, you know, there isn't just there just isn't a lot of changes. Maybe you can say this is clarifying something, but like that, that's already that's already something that's legal. Um, you are already allowed to defend your property um, if if you so choose. And, and the language here does not seem to make it any less or more lenient than it already is. Um yeah, so, so while there are a lot of parts in this bill that are redundant, the parts that are novel have the potential to be really bad. So the three-strike system, you know, I, it, we've kind of talked around this a little bit, but just for some specific details. The three-strike system was pioneered in California 
in the 80s and 90s, and it resulted in a massive increase in the prison population. So, you know, by 2004, nearly a quarter of California's prison population were third strikers. That is crazy. That's a third of the people that were in the prison, or a quarter of the people in the prisons. And the impact of the system on crime has been really mixed. All right, crime did decrease significantly in California after the implementation of the three strikes law, but it also decreased significantly everywhere else in the country, whether or not they had a three three strikes law um crime in like there's people who study this for a living this is another one of those things we could really dig into if you may let us do this full time but um why crime goes up and why crime goes down is a really really complicated topic and the people that study this really closely say maybe it had a difference but it probably didn't and the cost of the three strike system was way too high from what benefit they did receive for it so there has not been a corrections impact for HB5 yet. And that is something that that every bill will get. Uh, just like it gets a fiscal impact, it will get a, a corrections impact. I'm really interested to see what it what they come out to say because three strikes laws are known for ballooning prison populations. There is a massive issue with fentanyl throughout this state and company uh, country, but but you know no part of this bill shows a harsher break with the criminal justice reform movement than the parts of it that are about fentanyl. Um, this bill is extremely punitive, and it seeks to use harsh penalties to try to prevent drug trafficking. You know, again, a lot of the people who study criminology, they'll say that, like, increasing penalties does not necessarily do a great job of preventing crimes from happening. Um, and, and it, you know, just saddles us with having to take care of people in prison for a very, very long period of time. Um, you know, I understand the frustration. This is a really intractable issue. Fentanyl and opioid use has been, and opioid abuse uh, and, and opioid trafficking has been a serious issue in every part of the state, urban, rural, you know, everywhere in the, everywhere in the state has a serious issue with this, uh, with, with, with opioids and fentanyl. And, and it is really frustrating to watch, watch the, the, the negative impacts of it. But, you know, the, I just have very, very little faith that the, the approach that this bill is taking is going to make it any better. Uh, and it actually could, you know, make things worse for a lot of people. Um, so that's the fentanyl part. And then, you know, the, the last part is just the the homelessness thing, and, and it's just like this is I don't really, it it is it is like it's very frustrating because it is kind of criminalizing poverty in a way. Like where are people supposed to go? I, I you know I I know that there are services available um, that aren't necessarily utilized, but again I don't necessarily think that there's there's been a lot of investigation as to why. A lot of homeless people are not utilizing these services. I, I think that a lot of the bill sponsors just think it's just because people are mentally ill, but it it could be a lot more complicated than that. It could be a lot more things that are different than that. Like, I mean, homeless shelters are, are tough places sometimes, especially, you know, it's super freezing cold here in, in Louisville tonight. And when those things happen, um, you know, they just open the doors to anybody that wants to come in, which, you know, that's good on one level, but it also means that there's just a ton of people in there and a lot of just that creates bad situations um so you know there's a there's a reasons why people choose to do the things that they choose to do when they're homeless and removing the ability of local governments to cope with homelessness and then also just making it illegal and throwing people in jail when they're homeless is again just doesn't seem to be the solution at the end of this day this bill has a ton of co-sponsors it seems like that there were a few nuggets thrown into the bill to gain some measure of support from the greenberg and bashir administrations 
However, I don't think that those were really necessary. This bill is going to pass. Uh, I'm very doubtful that there will be any changes made to it. I do think that there will be a strong lobbying push to try to, to mitigate some of these things, especially the homelessness piece, especially the three strikes piece. But there's, you know, there's just there's just so many people that are backing it as it's written. It's it's hard for me to see how how it will be uh, changed at all. And also, there's just really heavy leeway in the Constitution for things like a three strikes law. There isn't really, I, I don't really know what the constitutional argument could be against it, which would be kind of what you would have to lean on if it does pass the legislature. I am sure that it would go to court. Lots of pieces of this bill would go to court, and there would be arguments made. Um, I don't know. I'm not an expert in this kind of thing, so I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of arguments uh you know the the experts come up with about this uh, piece of legislation but it, it it does just seem like it's going to pass and it's going to it's going to face a tough a tough situation when it gets to court so really sad stuff this one sucks but jasmine uh anything you want to say about the safer kentucky act i guess i mean one thing th- that this makes me think about is like our jail overcrowding crisis like we had so many jail deaths in our jail in Louisville in a short period of time. And many of those were unhoused people or people with like low level drug offenses. And like when the jail becomes just a revolving door for homeless people, um, I mean, that doesn't do anything to help them. And, and it may make the situation even more unsafe for them. Um, and I mean, the same, I think, goes for addicts as well. Um, and I also, it's just frustrating to see that just a couple of years ago, we were having Republicans show support for bills that um, made our persistent felony offender statute less punitive. I remember we had Marcus Jackson on from the ACLU who was working with Republican legislators on this legislation. And there were some that were supportive of it and who had sponsored bills about it. And now we have, we have a three strikes law in the works. Um, So we're going in an opposite direction without, there hasn't been any like huge shifts that's called for that. Um, and I mean, data shows that increasing penalties, um, doesn't do anything to like curb crime. It's, it's like treatment and resources and, and things like that. And so, um, I, you know, I think this bill's bad all around pieces of it are redundant. Um, and it does a lot of really bad and punitive things. And it seems heavily likely to be headed to the the statutes. So, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. You know, it is in, in, I mean, one of the really frustrating things, it's like a lot of these same Republicans are, are, you know, sponsoring this bill after having supported some of the, the, you know, criminal justice stuff, mm-hmm. like the reforms. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's the same people, um, which, you know. That's just really disappointing. That's and really and bills like this also just like 
take things out of the hands of prosecutors and judges yep. who we elect and hire to like make these tough decisions about people and their individual circumstances. And, you know, like we elect them for a reason <laughs> and, and, and yeah. this takes like any like independent decision-making and discretion out of it. Yeah. It's just a power play, right? It is just uh, usurping power from other people to give it to yourself. Uh, We'll talk more about that later. Um, but back to something good. Jasmine, tell us about uh, Hadley's Law there that's coming out of the Senate. All right. So Hadley's Law is another bill that will be sponsored by a Democrat, sponsored by David Yates, who is a senator from Louisville. And it's named after Hadley Duvall, who was featured in an Andy Bashir ad talking about her sexual assault as a 12-year-old child, um, she was raped by a family member. Um, and so Hadley's law would allow abortions for women who become pregnant through rape or incest or those whose pregnancies are no longer viable. It may also expand um, some of the like risk and health of the mother part of our abortion ban as well. Hadley was with David Yates to announce the bill, and she said, this bill is about compassion. I'm here with a message to say that unless you've been in this position, you have no idea what any woman or girl is currently going through. There should be options. The legislators shouldn't feel entitled to force victims who have stories like mine to carry a baby of their rapist. Of course, these are really narrow exceptions, um, and we would still have a a near total abortion ban. Um, but this, this could be something that could be the start at creating exceptions and expanding the right to abortion again. Um, of course, you know, the other side of that is narrow exceptions aren't really the best policy, um, because it, it puts liability on providers to make the call and, um, providers are afraid to do that, um, because it, it puts them at risk and, um, it also drives them away from our state um, from wanting to provide care in our state. And so um, I think it's a tough place to be, but we certainly want there to be, we want to expand the right to abortion. Um, so I, I do believe that this is a good bill and I'm interested to see, I know there is bipartisan support for having exceptions for rape and incest um i don't i don't know if there will be support for a democrat sponsored bill i'm wondering if we'll see a republican sponsored bill that is going to be more narrow than hadley's law um what do you think robert i don't know how you could make a bill more narrow than this right i mean rape incest and viability of the the pregnancy like I, which one do you take out right i, I mean, think i think it would be one that takes out viability um and leaves out the possibility of expanding the you know the definition of like the health of the mother um, and it would be like strictly rape and incest probably would yeah. be my guess on a more narrow bill. I, you know, I don't know that, that 
that would be tremendously frustrating uh, for for our family. Just be, I mean, you know, mm. and when we talk about like, it, it it's almost as if the Roe v. Wade status quo was there for a reason and uh, <laughs> uh, was it, uh, the product of uh, a lot of thinking about um, what what situation would work and what situation would give people a, a rights and, and put the decisions on patients and doctors and keep them safe as opposed to mm-hmm. whatever system we're trying to build um, that forces women to carry the babies of their rapists and um, to force women to carry babies that are not viable to term, um, which is inhumane. And uh, th- yeah, this is, I don't know. Um, I, I think the fact that it's called Hadley's Law, Hadley being a supporter of Andy Bashir, ha- you know, Hadley um, Duval, who is able to speak so clearly and powerfully about her experience and, and in a way that calls people to action. Um, I mean, I, I think <laughs> it's 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 hints that Democrats are very frustrated with the promises that Republicans are, have made around this issue so far. The fact that David Yates is carrying this bill means to me that Republicans are talking a big game about exceptions and democrats are trying to force their hands by making this as big and loud as possible and saying you need to pass Mm -hmm. this you need to make this a priority maybe that will force the republicans to come forward i don't think that this bill as it's written as it's designed as it's sponsored as it's being promoted is likely to pass but i do wonder if it's pushing republicans towards having to do something about this issue i certainly hope so um you know I, I don't I just I, I this is an issue nationwide. It's going to be an increasing issue in suburban America. And, and, you know, those are some of those seats that they cracked open to make them they, they, they made a lot of seats more suburban in order to protect their majority. And if they lose more voters in the suburbs where this issue is really salient uh, and start losing seats, you know, maybe that's what's going to take to get them to, like, act humanely. But yeah. Um, I, I don't have a lot of hope for this specific bill, but I do think it's a move in the right direction and a push towards something we desperately need. So I'm glad that it's getting a lot of media attention. I'm glad that people are talking about it. And I'm glad that David Yates and Hadley Duvall are speaking up as loudly as they they are. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> OK, more bad stuff. Um <laughs> Senator Mike Wilson, who is the majority whip, he's the chief sponsor of SB8, which would make Kentucky's Board of Education an elected body. Currently, the Board of Election is selected by the governor, and there have been a lot of bills during the Bashir admission administration that have sought to curb the governor's power. So, Jasmine, I've been reading a lot of books about uh, political history, and apparently this is like a major thing that happens throughout Kentucky's history. And in the past, they were called Ripper Bills. Do you like that term? This is a Ripper Bill. Uh, I don't know. I like it. I kind of like that. It sounds like, I don't know, like a slasher movie or something. Why is it called that? I don't know. Well, you're basically like ripping somebody's authority away from them. You're grabbing Uh, it for yourself. So, well, they've been doing that a lot. Yeah, they've been doing that a lot. We've had a lot of ripper bills yeah and i didn't i didn't realize how big this was in kentucky's history like and i mean it used to be much more like factional like this person who was elected from this faction of the democratic party um but the other faction didn't like them so they teamed up with the republicans to rip their authority away and yeah it's it's wild how how often this is this has happened in our past but anyways um this is another ripper bill um and uh the state board of election you know another thing is that it's been a interesting political hot potato so governor Bevan and Governor Bashir have basically recreated the entire board in their own image uh, during their administrations. Uh, Governor Bevan's uh, 
restructuring of the Board of Education um, was a little bit more, uh, you know, I will say it like followed a little bit more of the orderly process, but his overall overhaul of the Board of Election resulted in a lot of more like uh, strange changes to the, the Board of Education, hiring of Wayne Lewis, audit of JCPS, a lot of like really crazy stuff happened after Matt Bevan reformed the Board of Education. And then when Andy Bashir became governor, he reformed it in a way that was a little anomalous, you know, just basically firing everybody and putting people new in. But the board itself has acted much more like a Board of Education would have acted in the past. So anyways, that, that's kind of what's happened in the past. That's, you know, pushing towards reform of the Board of Education process. So Maybe the, situ- maybe the system does need a little bit of reform, but it's extremely clear that this particular bill is more about making the board conservative than about fixing any problems that we might have with our board of election process. So, And the reason I'm saying that is because the elections are partisan. Uh, there are no <laughs> school board elections in the state for local school board that are partisan at all. This would just make all of the board of election spots partisan elections for lord knows what reason that you need to have a partisan election for a school board the board would elect two members from each supreme court district which would mean 14 people the board of education or the superintendent would be the tiebreaker in case of a tie and uh in order to be uh serve on this board you would have to have been a member of a school board locally already I don't really have any clue the prospects about this bill. Um, I also have no idea what the prospects of a bill would be uh, for for this kind of a bill in the courts. I don't know if this would if it passed. There seems like you know you can't just like monkey around with stuff like this. It is a bill. It is not a constitutional amendment. I don't know uh, what like whether this would be something that would be um, threatened by the the constitution. But I do know that this bill has been assigned to a committee already and is sponsored by a member of leadership. And those are two indicators that usually means the bill is at least likely to pass that chamber. Uh, If it does pass, I think the bill is highly likely to end up in courts. But again, I have no idea what kind of argument would be made against it or whether or not that argument would be successful. If this bill does go into place, I wonder about what might happen. Um, Again, Jasmine, I'm going to be overly optimistic for a second here. I I do think that Democrats' chances on electing people to the state school board in a partisan election is probably the best chance that Democrats have to win elections like this um, for for just about every situation. Um, You know, people are partisan. People vote for Republicans in the state outside of the urban areas. But all of the Republicans that I've spoken to throughout this state, they, they typically say, well, Democrats are more, more right on the issue of education than anything else. Like, I'm voting for, you know, Jason Nemes because I don't like immigration. And that's like, what in the world are we doing here? But if it's like, hey, you're electing to somebody to school board, the state school board. I'm like, well, we need Democrats on the school board because they're the ones that support public education. I don't I don't think that we're going to have a majority. I think it would be very, very overly optimistic to say we elect eight Democrats. But I think it'd be closer than people think like i think that when they put this bill forward they're envisioning you know 12 to 2 or like 13 to 3 or something and i don't know i don't know if that's necessarily the case especially the way that some of these supreme court districts have been drawn up which are a little less hyper partisan than the legislative maps that they put together when they put all of those things together so i don't know anything you have to say about the uh board of education bill jasmine i think i agree with you that it's probably like an election that I'd feel more optimistic about Democrats chances. And, 
And I wonder also if it would bring out Republicans who support public education to run for those seats as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you you could end up with some Republicans who are who are still pretty good on education issues, um, like the type of Republicans who were winning. Travis Brenda would be a really yeah. Good that's who. Yeah, yeah, that's who I was gonna bring up um and so you know they'd probably have to primary um a liberty challenger in some of these areas i assume um but yeah i i think the the board would maybe still end up um with the republican majority but that you you could possibly get a better cross-section than than maybe what republicans are imagining I think that that's completely fair and potentially accurate. Hopefully, we'll never see. Hopefully, we'll never see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, next thing we want to talk about is SB34. Jasmine, take it away. All right. So SB34 is Whitney Westerfield's Alpha Act for moms. Um, and so the Alpha Act, Alpha stands for Advancing Lives for Pregnancy and Healthy Alternatives. And so... Um, this is a, a pretty big bill that would do several things. A, a few of those that we'll talk about. Um, it would ensure that eligibility periods for public assistance programs are extended to the maximum periods provided by federal law. It, it would also like establish a presumption of innocence when it comes to disqualifying someone for benefits during the appeals process for those. It would create a child care assistance fund for low-income families. It would fund a $10 million rental assistance program. It would waive post-secondary education tuition and fees for um, pregnant mothers and parents of a child under 18 if they meet an income threshold. It would also add waiver slots for people in the Michelle P. Waiver Program, and that's a program that helps people with intellectual or developmental disabilities with independent living. Um, so those are those are just a, the, a few of the things that it does. There's a few other things about SNAP and things like that in the bill. Um, but it would provide a lot of assistance to parents, essentially. Right now, Whitney Westerfield is the only listed sponsor, but he believes that the bill has bipartisan support. Um, I, I'm certain that Democrats would support this. Um, I'll be interested to see if other Republicans sign on supporting this bill as well. I, I'm sure that uh, many women Republicans may support it, like Julie Rocky Adams, um, but Whitney Westerfield has already said that he's not running for re-election. Um, so I think he's he's filing the, the bills that he wants to see <laughs> now and speaking up on issues that he wants to talk about. He's he's been pretty vocal on social media um ever since he's he said that he isn't running for his seat again, I feel like. Um but I so many Republicans have really like cheered the fall of Roe and said like, now it's time to work on pro-life policies to support parents. And we, 
we didn't really see any of that in the last session. Um, and Whitney Westerfield was certainly someone who has, who has talked about that. Um, but this bill is something that does that. And I think so does the bipartisan diaper bill that would exempt diapers from sales tax and things like Hadley's law. I, I think these bills are certainly a start when it comes to passing actual, you know, legislation that could help parents and mothers. And and so it's really good to see a bill like this. And I'm interested to see if it will have support from other people in the legislature. You're exactly right, Jasmine. Um, I think I said to you earlier, like off mic that, you know, Whitney Westerfield is trying to go out in good guy mode. Um, I think I want to amend that and say he's going out in Mitt Romney mode. Uh, Mitt Romney, of course, senator from Utah, who's decided to step down, who is like a very quixotic senator who supports a lot of like family leave and like family pro pro family Mm -hmm. policies, but also does crazy things like, you know, he voted for, you know, Amy Comey Barrett and he voted for like some, you know, a lot of other like kind of weird right wing stuff that, uh, you know, people who were like, you know, more liberal were like, well, that's kind of surprising. And, and, you know, Whitney Westerfield is definitely doing uh, a lot of stuff that he thinks is right. And I, I, he is a very pro family politician and is like very, you know, he's, he's ideologically cohe- coherent when he talks about, you know, abortion and families, um, supporting families and stuff like that. He is alone on that Island. That's another way he's like Mitt Romney. His stuff doesn't get passed. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, so I don't think that this is going anywhere. He is the chair of the Judiciary Committee. I don't know if this bill was assigned to his committee or not. Uh, it seems unlikely this would go to the Judiciary Committee. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it's it's a good plan. It's a really good plan. It would be really great to get a lot of this stuff, and it doesn't seem like it would be overly costly. We have the money. That is what uh, the, folks over, the good folks there at the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy tell us all the time. This is good stuff to spend the money on. Um, mm-hmm. families with, you know, children who have disabilities, um, you know, then, uh, people who, you know, uh, need benefits from the government in order to feed their families, uh, you know, people who are trapped, struggling with rent. That's, that's kind of who the government should be trying to help out. And, you know, kudos to Whitney Westerfield for putting this forward. But yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, I hope, I hope it gets a hearing. I hope it passes. Um, but we'll, it's in the we'll Appropriations and Revenue Committee. There you go. Well, at least it's been assigned to a committee. That's good. Um, but yeah, um, it is also a little disappointing that it takes like retiring from the legislature to like step up for these kinds of things. But that's where we're at. Um, all right. Anything else you still want to say about the Alpha Act, there, Jasmine? No, that's good. All right. My my last one, Senate Bill 10, is a constitutional amendment sponsored by Christian McDaniel, which would change the election dates for Kentucky's statewide officers. So currently, only New Jersey, Virginia, Louisiana, and Mississippi, along with Kentucky, elect their governors and other state officials on odd-numbered years. Uh, everyone else does it during the presidential or, you know, the, the congressional midterm election. The bill, ha- this bill to make this change has been 
put forward many different times, mostly by Senator McDaniel. It hasn't passed any of the other times, but it does appear to be on a bit of a fast track right now, at least in the Senate. The bill is a constitutional amendment. It would need to win an election. And I don't know, um, you know, before we compare the other constitutional amendment um, that we talked about, that would be about the vouchers and, uh, you know, charter schools to, to uh, constitutional amendment two from 2022. This feels a little bit more like constitutional amendment one from 2022. It's kind of an esoteric change. It's something that isn't like what are we doing here? We're changing the dates of elections. And, you know, in, in a constitutional amendment one last time was like, what are we doing here? We're adding more legislative days to the schedule. This is like a weird technical change. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. why it's a big deal. What's going on here? Um, but constitutional amendment one failed by actually a wider margin than constitutional amendment two. And, you know, this is a similar type of like power grab by the legislature. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I would, my, my initial thoughts are that it would face the same kind of, uh, opposition and and it would likely fail but i don't i don't know i don't know what what would really happen um i will say that like if you've been listening to the show for a very very long time you will have heard me defend this change in the past to um increase voter turnout um uh even though i knew it wasn't necessarily going to be great for democrats uh, this is something i thought would have been a good idea in the past and and the reason i thought that was because after the election in 2015 when so many people were just so apathetic about the gubernatorial election and so many people stayed home, I, I was like, we really should do whatever we can to increase voter turnout and get people to actually vote in these elections. But I will say the two elections we've had since then have really absolutely changed my mind. Um, I think it's been really good to have an election solely focused on state issues where voters can really hone in on the issues that are important to our state and vote based on those issues and those issues specifically. And in addition, you know, while we didn't have as high a participation in 2023 as we did in 2019, in 2019, we actually eclipsed the voter participation number we had during an even numbered uh, midterm year that was incredibly high turnout for a gubernatorial race and usually it is much lower than that but you know we are trending in the right direction over the long term in terms of voter participation in general but on these gubernatorial elections too and i think spending some more time talking about these issues specifically is is good while i also think you know it would be a bad change for democrats in the long run i think Andy Bashir would have won an election in 2020 and would have won an election in 2024 had he been up during those years. And I also think that Governor Bevin would have won by the same amount in 2016. I don't think it would have been all that much closer for the Democrats or he would have won by a lot more if he'd have run in 2016 as opposed to 2015. Um, but I do think that those uh, elections, if they had been held during the presidential election, would have had real trouble breaking through the noise. That when, when presidential elections happen, that is just what people are focused on and it's really mm-hmm. hard to divide people's attention and having the extra attention on um, our statewide races I, I just think is a real a real advantage and something that's really nice to have it's a little bit more expensive but it's not like i don't know it's not breaking the bank We're, we've been doing it forever uh we can continue to doing it the way that we've been doing it um so jasmine are you ready to like call me a hypocrite and tell me i'm a bad person for changing my mind or what do you think about uh this senate bill 10 i didn't even recall that you had a, a different position on it. Well, that's good. So, Just forget I said anything. Then. I'm glad you changed your mind. I don't even know if I had a position on it before. But, yeah, I certainly think it's good to have 
just a statewide election. I mean, I don't know. National issues end up being the for at the forefront of statewide elections enough as it is. Um, so the more we can focus on our state, I think the better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I don't know. It's it's that, these constitutional amendments, of course, have a lot more hoops that they have to jump through. So we'll we'll be tracking it. We'll be seeing what's going on. Um, let's end on a good note. Jasmine, tell us about HB 179, this paid family leave act. All right. This, this one's a quick one. Um, so it's house bill 179 and it's sponsored by Republican Samara Heverin. She's filed this bill that would allow for employers to offer voluntary paid family leave as part of an insurance option. Um, and so, this bill has already passed out of committee unanimously. And so it, it's already, you know, taken a first step and seems to have bipartisan support. You know, it's certainly not, you know, paid leave across the board or anything, but it, it at least allows employers to offer paid leave as part of insurance. And, you know, I think employers would, would like that employers who are already like, self-insuring for paid leave would like this option because it would be less costly for them. Um, so, you know, this is another good bill that is good for families. Um, and so even though it's maybe not as expansive of a paid leave bill as we could hope for, um, it certainly starts that conversation. Yeah, just like a lot of the other bills we talked about in this list that you have, Jasmine, it is like literally the least we can do. Uh, <laughs> but it is good, right? It is it yeah. is a move in the right direction, even if it's not a big step in the right direction. Um, it, it is what you need to do to make progress in Kentucky to take baby steps and hope to build on them later while doing your best to defend against the really wide-reaching, terrible bills that I've been talking about. Of course, there's a lot of other bills that are making their way through the legislature some good, mostly bad, um, and we're going to keep an eye on all of them. So I don't know. There's eight bills to, to, for you to talk about, um, you know, with your friends. We'll we'll have some folks talking about some of these bills uh, in the next few weeks. I think um, we we got a guest lined up for next week. So you have to stay tuned to figure out who that is talking about one of these bills potentially. Um, but yeah, that's just a little teaser for something we may have in the future. But that's it for this week, Jasmine. How can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MyOldKWAPod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash newsletter, And you can subscribe to us on Patreon and support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash podcast. And last but not least, we're part of the Dimcast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.